Continuing in our study of the book of Jonah, and I'm, I'm telling you, every week, the story, it's a little echoey, can we fix that, Mel? Every week, the story gets crazier and crazier and crazier, and we have just noticed God has been doing so much awesome stuff in this place through this story, and I can't wait to see what he has in store for us tonight. While you're flipping in your Bibles open to Jonah chapter one, or Jonah chapter three, find the book of Jonah, look in your table of contents if you need it, find it on your phone. Jonah chapter three is where we're continuing. If you have pens underneath your table or underneath your chairs, can you go ahead and pass those pens? We want to encourage you, students, every single week, every single week, something's going on. I'm blocking the antenna. How about that? Is that better? Thank you, Mel. Guys, give it up for Mel. We love Mel. Every single week, every single week, we know you will have a better discussion in your small group if you take notes. So get ready to take some notes. We're going to have a really good time. Here we go. Pass the pens if you need to. Jonah chapter three. But before we jump into that story, before we jump into that story, I want to tell you another story. And maybe some of you have heard this story before, but maybe some of you haven't. When I was in the fifth grade, when I was in the fifth grade, this crazy storm blew through Southern California called El Nino. Anyone ever heard of El Nino? Anyone ever heard of El Nino? El Nino was this wild storm that blew through Southern California. And as a fifth grader, I remember, I remember our teachers sat us down and they said, here's the deal. You cannot, you cannot come to school next week because this giant storm is blowing through town. Our schools will be flooded. You are not allowed on campus. Now, as a fifth grader, I remember at that moment thinking, we should totally go to school. Like, we got to be there. Something crazy could happen. And the wind was going, and the rain was going, and it was flooding everywhere, and there was mud. And I remember my buddies Adam and Kevin and I, we were hanging out that Monday, not at school, at Adam's house. And Adam said, hey, we should go to school. But not only should we go to school, we should go to school and play the craziest game of football ever. And so what we did is I remember we, um, we, we got these white shirts and we put these giant white shirts on us because we just wanted to feel all the mud. We wanted to see all the mud. And so we put these white shirts on us and then we put these basketball shorts. And maybe you've played sports before and you've seen these shorts. They're the kind of shorts that fit very comfortably on you, but you can also fit a village in. You know what I mean? Have you seen, you've seen these shorts that they just like extend, you know what I mean? You're like, yeah, come on in, come on in. Yeah, there's plenty of room. You know what I mean? Like they just, they're all over the place, right? And so... So we're in these big old shorts and these nice white shirts and we get to the school and we're playing football and we're tackling each other and it's so much fun. And this was before I was a Christian, so no judging me. Okay, so we're playing, we're having fun, breaking the rules and then all of a sudden, from off in the corner, we hear the whistle from the one and only Mary, our yard duty lady. Did anybody ever have a yard duty lady? Anybody know those people? So the yard duty lady literally lives at the school, right? She lives there and, and her, her job description is like torture students and ruin fun. That's what she does for a living. So she blows her whistle and we're like, why are you even here? There were rumors about, about Mary that she, she ate children, okay? And, and it's one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons that we called Mary Bloody Mary. Now this was before I was a Christian, don't judge, Bloody Mary. So anyway, over there, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary whistles and all of a sudden that hair stands up on our necks like we're immediately freaked out and we run towards the only exit which is to climb up over this fence and jump into someone's backyard and be home free. So Adam or Kevin is in front of me. Kevin's in, Kevin's in the very front and Kevin was the tall kid as a fifth grader. He was really tall. He had like awesome amazing hair. Like he had wonderful blue eyes. All the girls loved him. I hated Kevin, right? I hated him, hated Kevin. 
Tevin goes running up to the fence, climbs the fence, jumps over the fence, and it's just this amazing, glorious moment, right? He just jumps over the fence. It's awesome. Behind him is Adam. Now, Adam was shorter than Kevin, but Adam had brothers who lifted weights, and so Adam was able to lift like five pounders, like he was really buff. And so as a fifth grader, the girls also liked Adam. I hated Adam. Adam's running towards the fence, and he climbs, and he has to like kind of scurry up the fence, but he eventually jumps over the fence, and he lands on the other side, okay? And then there's me, and I'm back here, and Bloody Mary is hot on my heels, and I can see the fangs, you know what I mean? Like, and I can see the blood from the last kid that she ate, and she's, she's running, and I'm booking it, and I get to the fence, and I don't have big brothers, didn't lift weights, wasn't tall, no girls wanted me. I'm climbing the fence, and as I'm beginning to climb the fence, I get towards the top, and right as I'm about to jump over, I need to tell you something about this fence. This fence is one of those fences that has kind of the pole at the top, but then it has like the little spikes, you know what I mean? So I walk over, so I'm up on the fence, and I'm jumping, and all of a sudden, I have my moment. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm free. I'm flying in the air. It's amazing. I feel like an Olympian. But then you remember the shorts that I was telling you about? You remember the, the giant shorts? So that's really hurtful, Taya. That's really hurtful. <laughs> Destiny, that's really hurtful. So I'm, I'm jumping over, and all of a sudden, the ends of my shorts catch the fence, right? And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, my shorts begin to rise up. And the white glory that is my legs begins to shine and bless the whole world. And, and as I'm sitting, and all of a sudden, they're rising up. And I begin to feel this sensation that I have never felt in my life before. And I'm literally, thank you for the mood lighting, guys. And I'm literally sitting there hanging. I'm stuck. I'm, I'm like a foot from the ground. Like I could almost touch, but I'm literally hanging there. Now I got my two friends over there. What do good friends do in that situation? They just laugh. They don't help at all. They just laugh. And so they're literally laughing at me. And I'm on this fence and I'm completely stuck. Nothing I can do to get down. I hope, I hope you've never had a crazy embarrassing moment like that, but I know something to be true for every single one of you. That at some point in your life, and maybe you're in it right now, you feel stuck. That you feel like because of something you did, because of something that's been done to you, because of some decisions you've made, because of some past rebellion, because you, like Jonah, know that God was calling you this way, and like Andrew was talking about last uh, two weeks ago, you literally ran this way. And maybe you've been on that journey for a really, really long time, and you feel absolutely stuck. What do you do? Maybe it's because of family, because of friends, because of thoughts. I mean, maybe, maybe you wake up and those lustful thoughts about that person or, or that dream someday or whatever, they just don't leave your mind or those night tears from what has happened or your own pride. You just can't get outside yourself. You look at the success of other people and you can't celebrate with them because you're so self-consumed. Or maybe you just know God's calling you this way and you've been going this way for a really, really long time and you feel stuck. Well, guess what? Where Andrew left off last week, I mean, it was a 
powerful. If you have not listened to a sermon, go back to our podcast or Vimeo, watch it, listen to it when you're hanging out doing your homework. It was amazing. One of the things he talked about was Jonah was absolutely stuck in the whale. But he did something so powerful. He lifted his gaze. He lifted his gaze. And we pick up the story with Jonah outside the whale. Find me in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 begins like this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So in case you're like, what is this story, Jonah? Basically, there was this prophet named Jonah who God said, I want you to go to this city called Nineveh. They have some jacked up things going on in their life. We're going to read about it in a second. I want you to go there, and I want you to preach against them. I want you to tell them that I am not okay with what they're doing. That's where I'm calling you. And Jonah says, okay, God, got it. I think I'll go this way. And he heads this way. And he totally runs in the opposite direction of where God wants him to go. Well, he boards this ship and there's this crazy storm. And the guys on the ship are like, man, we're going to die. What's going on? And, and basically Jonah says, man, this is my fault. And, and so he actually lands, he jumps out of the boat. He's in the water. And then all of a sudden this giant whale swallows him, which next week I'm going to have Sarah Slamer act this out for us. She's an actress. It's going to be amazing. She, Jonah gets swallowed in this whale. And he finds himself in this like deep depression, in this place of anxiety and fear and worry. But because he lifts his gaze, and because God is the God of second chances, he is not done with Jonah yet. And some of you need to just hear that tonight. That God is not done with you yet, and he will continually pursue you. He will continue to passionately chase after you. God does not grow tired of his people, of his children. In fact, he sent his son to die on a cross to make it crystal clear that every single one of you in this room matters so much to God that he was willing to give up the most precious gift to give you a second chance and to give me a second chance. And so after Jonah's crazy disobedience, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. In verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, in the original language, we talked about this before, what is the Old Testament written in? What was the original language that the Old Testament was written in? Who knows? What is that? Hebrew. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So oftentimes when we're reading this, what we're reading is an English translation. Every once in a while, it's kind of fun to go back to the original language because sometimes uh, there's different words that get translated in different ways and you can kind of understand some of the meaning a little bit deeper when you dive into the original language. This idea of great city in this context right now, he's not talking about the size of the city. He's talking about the influence of the city. So when Jonah is being called by God, he's not just being called to this very large city as we're going to see in a minute, but he's being called to this city that has a lot of power, that has a lot of influence, that, that could crush him if they wanted to. I mean, this is a big city with a lot of power. And, and what's, what's important about this understanding is that 
Sometimes, sometimes we're convinced God could do nothing in my life because of all my past and because of all my baggage. Or maybe you have a friend that you're like, man, I would love for them to know Jesus, but they're just way too far gone to ever surrender their lives to him. But God is always more powerful than the greatest city. God is always more powerful than the hardest heart. So wherever you find yourself right now, if you're going, man, I'm just totally closed off to this, here's the problem with that. You have a God who can rip the doors open that you thought were closed. That he can unhinge the locks that you've put around your life where you said, God, nope, I'm not gonna follow you. No, I'm not gonna do it. No, I'm not gonna surrender. I'm not gonna give that part of my life to you. And you have a God who will passionately pursue you to the ends of the earth. Now follow along what happens next. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to, them, proclaim to them the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, some of you are going, what is even going on in Nineveh? I mean, what, what, what is this place really, like, like, is this really such a bad place? There's this prophet in the Old Testament, Nahum, and Nahum actually talks about the city of Nineveh. And I want to show you some of those verses right now. Let's throw them up on the screen. Nahum chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says this, where now is the lion's den, the place where they feed, where they fed their young, where the lion and the lioness went and the cubs with nothing to fear, verse 12. The lion killed enough of his, for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his lairs with the kill and his dens with the prey. It's literally describing the city of Nineveh where child sacrifice was happening. Flip over to uh, uh, chapter three, verses one to five. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, verse two. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots. Charging cavalry, cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, verse 4, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft, verse 5. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skies, I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. And then the last passage, verse 19, says this. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? I mean, those are the words, the description of this place called Nineveh. I mean, when you think about that place, when I think about that place, I go, Lord, crush them. End them. A place where the bodies stack on top of each other, where children are fed to lions, where their cruelty knows no end. Lord, End them. Absolutely end them. But here's what's crazy throughout Scripture. God, all throughout the Old Testament, has a special covenant with Israel, his people. These are the people he has chosen to be a light to the nations. They have a special covenant, meaning a special relationship with them. But that does not mean that he doesn't have a relationship with all the other nations. In fact, he has a universal covenant, a universal relationship with all humankind. This means at all times, God is looking out at the whole world. 
and when he sees destruction and when he sees pain, he's patient and he's compassionate and he's waiting. But there are times where he goes, I will end that because that is not just, that is not from me. And so it's to this place and it's for this reason that Jonah goes, really? Really? You, you, you want me to go to them? Fine, fine. I'm going to go. And I can't wait to watch their destruction. The story continues. Jonah obeyed. This is the first time he obeys. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. This one is actually talking about the, the breadth of it. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He's walking through the city and he's chanting this over and over and over over again. And everybody, everybody who's reading this story is screaming, yes, crush Nineveh, crush Nineveh. Because Nineveh is a place that you go to run away from God to satisfy any desire you have. I wonder if there's some of us in this room who you've been running to Nineveh or you've been living in Nineveh for a really, really long time. Maybe, maybe, there's some of you who go to Nineveh for all the wrong reasons. I mean, maybe you think to yourself, man, I, I'm, I'm gonna go with these friends who party because I'm gonna be a light to them, but every time you go there, you end up drinking and getting drunk. Or, or maybe you say, man, I'm gonna date this boy because he doesn't know anything about Jesus, and, and as soon as you know, we become in a relationship and I bring him to HSM or introduce him to Jesus, man, everything's gonna change, and you go into Nineveh for the wrong reasons. So I want to pause and ask you a question that there are Ninevehs all around you and God is calling you into them. But the question you have to ask yourself is, are you going into Nineveh to stumble or are you going into Nineveh to proclaim? And the road may look the same, but the outcome will always be different. Are you going to Nineveh? Are you going to people who don't know God? And is that a place where you stumble or is that a place where you proclaim through your life and your words and your actions that there is a God who has a better life for each one of us? Well, Jonah, I actually think he's going to Nineveh because he wants to see the show. He, he wants to see this thing get crazy. And so Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, here's what's really interesting about this word overthrown. There are a few different translations for it. The word could mean to be crushed, but it could mean that Nineveh will have a change of heart. You see, Jonah's walking in because he wants to see this thing get crushed. But I believe God sent Jonah in because he wants to see hearts changed. You see, there's some of you in this room who, like me, you struggle with doing all the right things, but your heart isn't in it. And maybe you're convinced God just wants me to do all of this stuff and you're so tired and you're so worn out and you're convinced if I just do enough, then God will love me. And, and for you, it's, it's like a turn in behavior and our behavior changes really and authentically when our hearts actually change. So students, I wanna ask you, have you had a behavior change or have you had a heart change? Because Jonah walks into the city and says, 
40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will have a heart change. 40 more days and Nineveh will be crushed. And then verse five, the Ninevites believed God. The Ninevites believed God. This word can mean they trusted God. Their hearts were changed. Something happened where the gospel, the good news, the message that there is a God who loves them so changed their hearts that they began to trust and believe in God. And check out what happened next. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne to take off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation that he issued Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways, their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You see what happened in this moment? Is the Ninevites realized something that we need to realize. Our sin separates us from God. Your sin, my sin, separates us from God. So God rescues us. Our sin, our brokenness, my rebellion, my desire for my own ways, my own wants, that actually separates me from God. But what God chooses to do is to step in and to rescue. And so God says, Nineveh, I have seen your rebellion, your destruction. You have done unspeakable things, but I still want to rescue and change your heart and turn it back towards me. And what, what happens is a profound moment in history where a very influential and very large city says our sin has ruined us, but God has come to forgive us. Where's Vincent? Is Vincent in the room with us? Vincent, come on up here real quick. I need you to run up here. Hurry, hurry. You got three seconds, bro. Run up here. Vincent, hurry, hurry. Hurry, get up here real quick. This is, an important, this is an important illustration because our thinking about sin is so messed up sometimes. In fact, we oftentimes think about sin as that thing that we just did yesterday or last week and we're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm done with that. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad nobody snapped about that. I'm so glad nobody knows about that. I'm so glad my parents never found out about that. Whew, that was that weekend. Now I can go into the next week. Hopefully nobody brings that up. And it's this way of kind of trying to manage this sin, but thinking it's just totally in our past. The scriptures say you have totally misunderstood sin if you believe that way. And that is exactly what Satan would want you to think. Sin is far more devastating than a bad decision. Sin is death. The sin brings spiritual death, physical death, relational death, emotional. It brings death always. Sin promises life, but will always bring you death. And the way scriptures describe sin is they say sin. Here, give me your wrist real quick, brother. What they say is they say sin. Sin is literally, these are like legit police handcuffs, by the way. Um, the scriptures say that sin that we are enslaved to it, that sin brings death. So here's what I want you to do real quick, Vincent. I want you to do what a lot of us try to do. I want you to run away from your sin. So this is what happened last weekend or what you looked at or what you're thinking or whatever. Man, this is what you did. I want you to go ahead and run as far away from your sin as possible. Like just try to forget it in the past and get away from it. Go, go, run, run, get out of here. All right, all right, that's far enough, that's far enough. What happened? 
Where did his sin go? His sin went with him. All right, all right, we try to do this. Come back over here, Vincent. Here's another thing that we try to do. We go, okay, you know what? I, I can't get away from it, but what I can do is I can manage it and I can hide it from everybody. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to hide that sin from the rest of us. Go ahead and hide it from us so we can't see it. How many of you? No, don't go behind the curtain. You don't have a curtain with God. Stand right here. Who, who can still see his sin? And, and, and here's the thing though, guys. Here's the thing. How often, how often do we do this? Where we just try to put on a nice clean smile, try to pretend everything's okay. No, it's great. We don't talk about anything. And what we're doing is we're trying to hide what is so obvious to God. That you and I are chained up to our sin. And then this happens, and then I'm going to uncuff you. Hold on. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring them the destruction that he had threatened. When God saw that their hearts had turned, everything changed. You know, this, this picture right here, this picture is most perfectly painted in Jesus Christ. I want to show you some verses real quick. I want to show you um, Romans, uh, or sorry, Ephesians 2. Find the Ephesians one, guys. Guys, Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, it says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Let's leave that verse up there. God looked at a dead, broken, hopeless world and said, I have the power to make you alive, but it's going to cost me everything. And so God did for you what only he could do. And knowing that there was no possible way, <laughs> knowing that there was no possible way for Vincent or you and I to ever be freed from our sin, what God did is he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this for you. And it's going to cost me everything. In fact, it's going to lead to my death. Jesus, who claimed to be God, died on a cross, proved it by rising from the dead. And what did he prove? He proved that he has the power over sin, that he has power over what you and I are powerless to change in our lives. Give it up for Vincent real quick. Good job, brother. And so the Ninevites, the Ninevites have this profound moment where their hearts are turned because God's grace, meaning his free gift to us, his compassion, his desire to be in a relationship with us changes everything and they're overwhelmed and they recognize, man, I have done so much to rebel against God and yet he has chosen to love me and that changed everything. Well, fast forward to the first century Jesus of Nazareth showed up on the scene and he taught and he loved and he fed and he shared with the world that he was the God of the universe and that he had the power over sin. And when he died on a cross, a brutal death, he did it not just for the people around you, he did it for you. Because you matter to God. 
because you and I, like a bunch of Ninevites, rebel against him, like Jonah, run away from him, and yet God cannot stop thinking about you. The Psalms say that you are always on his mind, that every hair on your head he knows, every thought he is familiar with, that God is wildly passionate about you and he has done everything to show you that he has chosen you and he waits and wonders if you want to choose him back. If you have that penny with you, you can, whoa, I do not have the penny with me anymore. It's behind me. Oh, there it is. If you have the penny with you, Jesus tells a story about this, this woman. He says there's this woman who loses one coin. She had 10 of them, but she lost one, and she scours the house, sweeping under everything, checking under everything, looking frantically for this one penny. And when she found that one penny, she called everyone around her and said, guess what? found my one missing coin. And I wonder if some of you, as you hold this penny, you feel worthless. Like maybe you would think about a penny. You'd say, ah, in the grand scheme of currency, how important is a penny? And maybe you feel worthless. Maybe you feel undeserving of God's love because of what you've done. Or maybe you go, man, this penny is just like a billion other pennies. There's no way that I've even known that this penny ever existed in the same way God probably doesn't know that I existed. But I want you to know that to God, like a coin to this woman, every single one of you matters to him. Every single one of you has value and worth. Every single one of you has purpose. But you have a decision to make. Are you going to choose the God who gave up his life for you? And it's gonna mean turning from a lot of stuff. But once your heart has turned towards him, your actions will follow. I wanna invite everyone to close their eyes with me. And tonight, maybe you just thought you were coming to this youth group and you're not sure exactly why you came, but you just came tonight. But maybe after hearing this story about this guy, Jonah, who ran away from God and yet God was willing to show him love and give him a second chance and you said, man, that'd be amazing. I wish somebody could show me a second chance. And then we talked about Jesus and you're going, man, this is crazy to think that God, Jesus, knows all of my sin and yet he is willing to forgive me that he would die on a cross, that he would uncuff me from my sin so I could be free, and maybe your heart is beginning to change towards him. If that's you tonight, with every eye closed, if that's you tonight, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you want to give him your heart fully, your heart is turning towards him and you want to receive his forgiveness and his love and the clean slate that he offers you and you want your life to follow the heart change that he's doing and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. Heavenly Father, 
I thank you so much for my friends who have their hands up. For the people who are making a decision that tonight, Jesus, you are gonna be the Lord of their lives. That tonight, they're gonna, their hearts, as you have changed their hearts towards you, as you have forgiven them, that now they're gonna run towards you and, and their life is gonna look differently because Jesus, you are at the center of it. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I pray that the Holy Spirit would enter these students and that they would forever be changed because of this decision to surrender everything to you, the God who chose them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Now hold on real quick. Something really, really special happened in this place. That there were a few of you who you raised your hands for the first time. And if that was you, if that was you, in a second I'm gonna ask you to stand up and here's why. Because scripture says that whenever somebody turns to Jesus, that in heaven, the angels are celebrating and going crazy. In fact, that's what the story says in Luke 15. And so we just wanna celebrate with you. And we wanna encourage you and hold you accountable and be there for you. And so on the count of three, if you were one of those people who raised your hand, I'm gonna ask you to be bold and say, Jesus is the Lord of my life and my heart has turned to him and I'm gonna follow him. So if you would stand up, if you raised your hand on the count of three, one, two, three, stand up. you guys can have a seat. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to break into small groups. And maybe there's some of you, maybe there's some of you who you're like, you know what? I've been following Jesus, but recently I've been running, I've been running far away and I haven't been going to Nineveh where he's calling me. And you want to repent. You want to turn back. I want you to talk about that in your small groups. Hey, we love you guys. One last thing. One last thing.